0: SNAP Production. Hello, welcome to the briefing. It's Tuesday, the 3rd of August. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika hurst
1: Morning, Tom, and in today's briefing, what on earth happened in Tokyo last week? We're talking about our female swimmers in the pool.
2: Well, on the opening night, the women's four by one hundred relay won the gold medal and broke a world record and sometimes an early performance can set the tone for the whole team.
0: Yeah, it was our best Olympic swimming performance ever. So we're going to try and find out what happened and particularly with our women who won eight out of the nine gold medals. We're going to interview Nathan Templeton. He was the Channel 7 reporter doing all those amazing poolside interviews. And also today, remember to listen uh, all throughout these headlines for the clues for Friday's quiz. All right, let's get into today's news.
1: Students on Queensland's Sunshine Coast will undergo mass COVID testing as the state institutes its hardest lockdown yet to suppress the outbreak engulfing schools. I really am very, very concerned about these six schools. We need to lock down really, really hard, the hardest we've ever locked down.
0: That's Jeanette Young, Queensland's Chief Health Officer. The ABC's reporting all staff and students at at least two Sunshine Coast schools will have to get tested from today in a bid to find the missing link in this Brisbane outbreak.
1: Seven Brisbane schools, one was added late yesterday, have already been caught up in the outbreak and 11 of the 32 cases are in children aged under 10.
0: Yeah, very concerning. No cases have been uncovered at the Sunshine Coast schools, but authorities believe the Brisbane outbreak may have originated there and there may be undetected cases in the region. And the lockdown in Queensland, Annika, was meant to end today, but it's been extended to Sunday. So um, this is a pretty... Intense situation unfolding there.
1: Yeah, it feels a little bit like Melbourne a few weeks ago. They've shut down pretty quickly, Mm. but still a number of cases they have to get on top of. So hopefully, fingers crossed, like Victoria, they can get out of it soon.
0: Yeah, unlike Sydney, which was over 200 local cases again yesterday. And there was another death. The man was in his 90s.
1: Labor and the federal government are at odds on how to encourage more people to get vaccinated with the opposition calling on the government to pay people to get
0: the jab. So it's expected today that the Labor leader, Anthony Albanese, will announce that anyone vaccinated by December 1 will get 300 bucks. So this is children as young as 12 getting a payment and in total that will be 20 million people eligible for the jab. So it could cost up to $6 billion. Interesting one, Annika. The government's got a very different position, they say that the freedom incentives should be enough to make people get out and get vaccinated.
1: Yeah, I wonder if people will be enticed by a few hundred bucks in order to get that. It's a vaccine, we shouldn't have to get paid. It means we can all get out there. But a lot of people are hesitant, as we know, so the government have to throw everything at this. Meanwhile, ATAGI, now that's the body that advises the government on vaccines, has approved Pfizer for vulnerable children aged 12 to 15, which is great news.
0: Hey, with the Labor idea, is it kind of a cheeky suggestion by Anthony Albanese because they won't be in government during the vaccine rollout. So it's easy for them to promise this. They would never have to institute it.
1: No, it depends when we finish it, Tom. We could have an election by the end of the year. And if we haven't reached that mark, they'll be held up to it. But yes, you'd have to think that at least half of Australia would be vaccinated by then. So that $6 billion figure might not end up being quite so high.
0: Well, speaking of billions, get your head around this figure. $39 billion dollars. This is the biggest deal in Australian history. It was announced yesterday. Afterpay, the Australian payments company, has been bought by US company Square for that eye-watering amount of money.
1: Afterpay was founded seven years ago by two Sydney neighbours who struck up a conversation while taking their bins out one night. The deal makes their stake worth $2.6 billion each. One of them, Anthony Molnar, is only 31.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible story. So the guy who bought it is Jack Dorsey. He founded Square, but he's also the same person who founded Twitter. So this is an amazing Australian business story. It's probably our biggest unicorn ever. That's a company that just goes absolutely gangbusters. And and people say that stories like this are good for inspiring other people into innovation and entrepreneurialism.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a huge success. It is a little controversial, this company, of course, in Canberra. There was talk of regulating it, given mm. some people get into a little bit of trouble with these sort of things. So they probably got out at just the right time.
0: And Australians women basketballers, the Opals, are through to the quarterfinals in the Olympics. They'll take on America tomorrow. So this is an amazing achievement, especially considering uh, just before Tokyo, they lost their star player, Liz Cambage.
1: Yeah, doing it against the odds. Sadly, last night, though, the Matildas lost 1 0 in their semi final against Sweden. They'll still have a chance to play for bronze when they play the
0: US, though. Yeah, they've had an amazing campaign. That game against England was just an absolute nail biter and such a, a gutsy comeback. So let's hope the Matildas can get bronze. Andrew Hoy had a good day yesterday. He became Australia's oldest Olympic medalist. Aged 62, he won silver and bronze in the equestrian. And he made his Olympic debut way back in the 1984 Los Angeles Games. It's incredible, isn't it? A
1: big highlight today, though, is the men's hockey. The Kookaburras, they'll play Germany in the second semi-final. All
0: All right, now for our interview with the man who witnessed all the magic poolside in Tokyo last week.
2: For Australia
0: Arnie gets it done Some amazing moments In the pool there Courtesy of Channel 7 The Tokyo Games Have been Australia's Most successful Olympics Ever in the pool Nine gold Just incredible Annika
1: Yeah it's been amazing Hasn't it Look in Rio Five years ago We won three London we won just one which was the worst since the 1970s. Now if you go back to Sydney in 2000 we actually had a really good swimming Olympics. I actually was lucky enough to go along and be Mm. poolside. That was when we won five gold medals but compared to the nine we've had you know it's kind of amazing.
0: In Sydney the gold mostly came from our male swimmers but this time it's been the women who stepped up eight out of nine gold medals to our female swimmers. And that's what got us to number two in the world this time. The US were first, they got 11 gold, 30 in total compared to our 20, but they do have 13 times the population we have. So on a per capita basis, we've absolutely kicked ass. (laughs) I like that terminology. So
1: how did we do it? How did our female swimmers take us to our best result ever?
0: Nathan Templeton has been doing the poolside interviews for Channel 7. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. There were very few people that got to be poolside this Olympics and you were there speaking to those athletes as they got out of the pool and there were some amazing moments that you shared with them. What's that been like for you being poolside for this incredibly successful Olympics?
2: Well, a lot of my job really hinges on their performances and um, I know in Rio there were a lot of disappointed swimmers who didn't quite meet expectations, but this time around It's just been great story after great story. Nine gold medals in an eight-day program. It just meant that every single day there was at least one gold medal and there was a new storyline every day.
0: Yeah, well, one of the most amazing moments was you speaking to Emma McKeon and you rattled off the incredible achievement. She's now our most successful Olympian ever. and Many of us hadn't heard of her before. Can you tell us about where she's come from and why you think she's been so successful?
2: Well, Emma has been a really good swimmer for a very long time. She actually won four medals in Rio, uh, which was our most successful athlete there. But she's a very quiet achiever, but also she tended to do a lot of events that weren't necessarily the glamour ones. So she swam a lot of relays. She did the butterfly. She did the 200 metres freestyle. But to sort of step up and swim those sprint events the 100 freestyle is for many people the event and then the 50 freestyle as Mm -hmm. well she was in the shadow of the Campbell sisters a lot Um, Kate and Bronte were always Australia's two representatives in those sprint events and Emma was always yeah in the relays if you asked her and her coaches it hasn't been a sudden explosion she's come out of nowhere she's just been on this beautiful arc of improvement for a
1: long time and it's just All come together at exactly the right moment. What do you think it is about this Olympics that means we've had so much success in the pool, not just with McKeon, but with so many of our swimmers doing well? There's a lot of
2: little intangibles when it comes to performing under pressure. I think that confidence and belief plays a big role. Well, on the opening night, the women's 4x100 relay won the gold medal and broke a world record. And sometimes an early performance can set the tone for the whole team. And then when Titmus beat Ledecky in the 400 mm, on day two, sometimes that can just permeate through the whole team. And instead of getting touched out for silver, they actually win the gold. Or for some of the lesser lights who you think, instead of finishing fourth and fifth, they sneak a bronze medal. It tends to just uh, snowball throughout the team. But I mean, if you're asking what the qualities are, the coaching team are really good and they're very humble athletes, particularly those main three women, Emma McKee and Kaylee McEwen and Ariane Titmuss, they all just train so hard and then somehow their coaches have been able to instill the belief to actually nail it when it matters.
1: And how important do you think that extra year was? What do you think that did to our swimming team specifically, giving them that extra time to get there?
2: I know Ariane Titmuss said that if it was a year earlier, she doesn't feel like she would have won both those events against Katie Ledecky she's only 20 so um you know she just is still improving Kaylee McEwen definitely wouldn't have been able to win those two backstrokes because almost exactly a year ago her father died so there's a number of circumstances have sort of conspired and it's all fallen into place I guess someone like Kate Campbell who's 29 you know maybe she would have Felt like she was faster a year ago, but she still performed well here. So on the whole, I would say that the extra year has been good for the Australian team because it was mainly the younger athletes who performed really well.
0: So obviously one of the big themes is that female swimmers have dominated eight out of nine golds. There's also seems to be a bit of a Queensland thing going on. You've got Ariana Titmus, who was training at St Peter's school you've got emma McEwen who was at griffith university and kaylee McEwen was from the sunshine coast university swimming club so is there something going on in queensland
2: well one thing i have learned working on the swimming for quite a while is that they are mostly queenslanders always i mean I'm from Victoria, so I always remember which ones are Victorians. You get a few WA athletes and a few from New South Wales, but that is pretty much the norm that Queenslanders dominate the uh, the swimming team. I guess it makes sense from <laughs> climate, a climate perspective. It's far uh, more pleasant to get up and train when it's warm. That's pretty normal, Queenslanders dominating. Um, Emma's from Wollongong, so... Mm. Uh, go New South Wales. But yes, it's pretty much the Queenslanders.
1: I think a few Tasmanians will be still claiming Ariana Titmus. To be fair, she did move up there to train. You talked about the age of these people and why the extra year did help. Was it a case that London, which was a shocker, wasn't at the right time for the team? They hadn't peaked?
2: I don't know if it was necessarily the age profile or the timing of the games that caused them to not perform well in London or in Rio. I just think that it's milliseconds between glory and disappointment. And what's happened here is the swimmers that we hoped would win actually did win. And then, as I said, the ones who perhaps couldn't win gold, but you hope they would do well, have snuck these bronze medals. But I guess you're asking about when the Olympic cycle falls in an athlete's career. Four years is a long time, and five years is obviously even longer. So you can get lucky or unlucky, you know, when it comes to what age you are at when the Olympics land.
0: What do you think's really changed in a tangible way since London?
2: I think attitude and culture. Uh, John Bertrand, the sailing legend, came in as president of Swimming Australia around about the time, well, not long after London actually and he was huge on culture and wanting this to be a team that Australia is proud of in and out of the pool. I started covering this thing in 2015 at the World Championships, and there was an interesting shift in... I wasn't really close to the team in London, so I don't want to sort of speculate too much, but, you know, from the outside it appeared that there was a lot of big alpha males who strutted around and, um, you know, perhaps didn't treat their teammates all that well. And by the time I started covering the swimming, the dominant males in the team were actually very, very different to that. Cameron McAvoy, the 100-metre sprinter, who hasn't had a very good time of it here, but going into Rio was the hot favourite in the 100. Mac Horton and Mitch Larkin, they are very gentle, thoughtful, intelligent, Mm. educated guys. And whether that perhaps... Change the culture a little bit. That the best of those men were really, um, you know, likable. Yeah, we actually used to joke and call them the nerd squad because Mitch <laughs> and Mac wear glasses and they yeah. make fun of themselves. And Cam McAvoy you know, going to be a, a scientist. And you know, so I think perhaps that changed it. I think that our women, from what I can tell, have always had a fantastic culture. But there were there was a couple of little instances which I could share with you that gave me a little insight into the culture of the women's team. In the women's 4x100 on the opening night, they had two young kids in there, Molly O'Callaghan, who's 17, and Meg Harris, who's 19. They swam with Bronte Campbell and Maddie Wilson, who are far more experienced. And Molly O'Callaghan, the 17-year-old, swam a brilliant lead-off leg in her Olympic debut, And as she came over to our microphone, she looked really nervous about doing an interview. And I just noticed Bronte put her hand on Molly's arm and sort of Mm. guide her over and give her a reassuring pat on the arm. And then Molly came and spoke really well. And then after that, in the final, the following morning, Meg Harris, who's 19, she has a hearing impairment. And just as we were about to go live in our interview, again, Meg had swum superbly and won the gold medal. Bronte came over and just said, can you just tell us what you want to ask Meg so we can tell her just in case she can't hear. And they're only little things, but those little things become big things when you're talking about tenths of a second or when you're talking about performing under pressure.
1: Now, obviously we've had a great first week. There's millions of Aussies watching this, especially because a lot of people are still in lockdown, but we still have a week to go. Now, to beat that overall gold medal tally, we need to actually jump to 17, which is what we got in Athens. So second week, a lot of people stuck at home. What's our best hope?
2: I really like the look of the boomers, the men's basketball team. They have looked fantastic on their way through it. So they're in the quarterfinals. Winning gold is going to be hard. Their big aim has been to just win Australia's first medal in men's basketball because they've been fourth so many times, but the USA looked beatable. So whether we get to that total, to be honest, I'm not too sure. I haven't analysed the whole schedule for what's left, but gee, it's been successful so far. And for the swimming, that is our greatest swimming team because nine gold medals, the previous record was eight from Melbourne in 1956 and 20 medals in total, which matches the total from uh, Beijing 2008. So I think you'd have to say it's our best swimming team ever and hopefully the whole team can break records too.
0: That was Nathan Templeton from Channel 7 and it's really interesting what he said about the way the female swimmers looked after each other and interacted and when you compare that to some of the attitudes we saw from our male swimmers in, in London where they had the whole Stillnox controversy and that there seemed to be a whiff of arrogance that the way these women treat each other and the other amazing moment was Kayleigh McEwen bringing Emily Seabomb onto the gold medal podium.
1: Yeah, we hear so much about culture and uh, you know the importance of sports psychologists in the Olympics, but it really is. It, it's like a business or anything else. It comes from the top and changing that culture obviously has really good real world impacts in the pool. Listener